Hello and welcome to The Green Majority on CIUT 89.5 or any of our wonderfully appreciated radio syndicates or of course on the podcast which can be on greenmajority.ca. This is uh, Stefan Hostetter. Uh, I'm going to play host today because we have a bit of a special show for you uh, and I'm just going to let it play out. So take it away, Stefan and Emma. Welcome to, uh, to Planning to Win. I'm here uh, with M.A. Ma. Thank you so much. Uh, has been on the show for quite some time uh, on a bit of a hiatus, but is back with us, at least for this, this ongoing of un- unknown length segment. Because currently, you're probably listening to them on the show, and therefore, it will end at a normal uh, noontime show. That is the most ambiguous statement I've ever heard you say. I'm, I'm pretty good at ambiguity. So we're going to start with ambiguity, and hopefully, we'll work away from that. That's the goal, yeah. That's the goal today. Yeah. yeah. So, so M.A., what are we doing here? So you have been maybe over the course of two years or longer teasing the listeners with this concept of playing to win, but you usually only say one or two lines and then you move on to something else. And I feel like there's only so long you can tease people with a concept and then you just have to actually explain what the hell you mean. Mm. So that is the purpose of today. So Stefan, let's, let's get to it. Planning to win. What does it mean to you? Why do you keep bringing it up on the show? Excellent question. <laughs> it's almost like we planned this. Uh, so the so planning to win is it, it it came out of a frustration, I guess we'll say, in which more often than not, when you're when you're in the environmental movement, we spend most of our time telling people things we don't want, uh, and and that's not a whole movement. There's a vast, huge, huge, huge movement. But I guess the part the parts of that you uh, that you that are most open for people to join, I guess I'll say, um, you know, the parts of it of it which are you know the protests, the parts of it which are these pieces of it, and we've included sort of the positive messaging of, of renewable energy and stuff like that into these protests. And the, so there's not 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 to say that that all activism ends up being negative, uh, but there's certainly a lot of a, a lot of it which in the part of it, that's the reason why it's, it's galvanizing. You know, people come together because it's because because they, it's, it's you, you give them a, you give them a thing to fight against. Uh, you know, and so, I guess. Part of the idea here was to was to come up with something that is uh, similarly galvanizing um, as a uh, as a for the for a movement, uh, but based around the the actual question of, of what it would look like to live in a sustainable world. Uh, I realized at some point that you know even I who 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 does my best to be as much tapped into this whole thing as possible still couldn't actually describe to you a world of those truly sustainable. You know, I couldn't act, if I tried to explain to you how food systems worked in a fully sustainable world, I don't think I could. If I tried to explain to you how we would get how sustainable fashion would work in a fully sustainable world, I can't. Um, and so this came out of this question of like, okay, I know there are people doing this work. Uh, I know there are people out there who are, you know, who are moving us forward on all of these different issues, uh, you know, and, and all these different pieces, but what does that look like? And what are the problems that they are facing? And what are the things, what are the ways that like, if I was going to try to live a sustainable week or month or year, who would I be interacting with? And, and that comes from a, sta- and, and then the, uh, the, 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 the build, what builds on that is this concept of when we look at uh, our world where, where we are now, um, and where we're headed, I you know I've uh, many times on the show gone on and on and on about this 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 breakdown between um, where we are where we are now and the sort of this looming threat of the carbon bubble, mm-hmm. uh, a looming threat of 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 systematic breakdown, really. Um, and and what I what I what I wanted to do is find a way to help build the infrastructure beneath our current system. So when the current system in all of its fragility uh, breaks, 
I didn't want the world to descend into into chaos. I wanted yeah. there to be a system underneath that it that replaces the yeah. status quo. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, can I get you to go back to just the words in the original concept mm. that you've been saying? So it seems to me that by saying planning to win, you are perhaps acknowledging that we maybe haven't been doing things right, that maybe we aren't in fact winning and that we need to take a different approach. So for mm. example, the biggest impact on global GHG reduction has actually been economic recession. Right. Does that, that would suggest maybe that we, and I use the term loosely, are not winning. Right. Um, and there's many other things we can point to around, you know, social inequality, and you know mounting you know islamophobia and the violations of indigenous rights and we can go on and on but we're maybe not on the right track and it suggests that as multiple movements particularly the environmental movement because this is an environmentally oriented show we need to step back and take a different approach so what have we been doing as a movement that isn't working that we need to change to actually sort of bring this new way of thinking and this into being right yeah I feel like the I feel like it's hard to say that we are not that, that what, what is currently being done is is incorrect or or is not is not working um, from a standpoint of which there is a lot of what's what's been happening. There was a ton of inertia towards destroying this planet. There's <laughs> um, an incredible amount of inertia that was built up after you know basically in the, from the like obviously since the since the industrial revolution, but more specifically really since the mid 1950s with a massive boom of consumerism, that um, that was to even come close to having these conversations, you had to have so far to go, and a lot of that sort of slowing down the inertia and dragging your feet has come from these sort of organizations currently that are that have been fighting to slow this inertia. And I think we're getting to a point now in which the inertia is 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 is, is, is we're getting it feels as if it's it's taking hold. People are understanding these concepts more. Obviously, you know, climate change, the debate on climate change, in my mind, has basically been is is no longer useful, despite the fact that Trump is trying to raise it up again. In, but whatever, like the Paris Climate Accord, I think should end the debate uh, about whether or not it's real or not. And so I think. For me, I think it's 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 not so much necessarily um, a a thing that, that what we're doing now is wrong. It's what we're doing now is outdated. Um, in that the 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 no stop no approach is and is still incredibly important because we still have to keep these things from from not happening. But I think that set next next part has to be a but actually this, right? Um, you know, a a standpoint of not just. Um, you know, it's 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 really it's really a point of, of of which it's 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 a switch from the sort of slowing down of the inertia that we we're fighting against this very obvious other to now, you know, what actually is the next thing? And and I think it's important, especially as people as environmentalists, to to understand that so that it doesn't. It, it, so that so that we, we don't end up sort of winning, but in a way that doesn't actually work. <laughs> you know, yeah. like you know, it's 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 you can if you spend all of our time really fighting against something, mm -hmm. uh, then you get to a point in which the real question becomes, um, you know, if 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 we never actually f if we never actually try to world build, if we never yeah. actually try to do the work of actually planning to to win, um, you could end up with a world that is carbon neutral but not sustainable. Yeah, exactly. And I think energy is a very good example of this. So we know that that shift is happening. It's real. It's yeah. happening. Um, but if, for example, we don't opt for models around community ownership of energy, if we let the same 
companies that have exploited the tar sands uh, in Alberta be the ones that also own the renewable energy. It's not to say that the benefits, uh, it's to say that the benefits of energy being distributed and people having access to that energy may follow similar patterns. So that's one thing I feel where we're, when we're constructing this alternative narrative and we're providing people with viable options, we need to get ahead of it now. Yeah. We can't just let things passively happen, even if those things um, are ultimately more positive um, you know, than en renewable energy versus like an oil economy, for example. But there needs to be some level of vision that's guiding this, and that vision has to be one that's serving large numbers of people and communities. Exactly, yeah. You can have a, you can have a carbon neutral world which is not sustainable in many ways. You know, like our world right now is not sustainable in, you know, in, in hundreds and thousands of ways. Um, but I think the, and, and, and especially from the standpoint of, you know, you, there's a distinct danger that if you have a technocratic victory, um, that the world becomes massively, even more massively unequal as it is currently, and the, those there's a few elite few who get to live these, you know, they get to drive their electric cars and, and live with renewable energy, and then but still are getting their stuff outsourced, you know, it, like there's you can you can really still have a very very unsustainable world, mm -hmm. uh, and I think the the conversation needs to be had now about okay. We don't want 2150 to be. Oh, look, we solved climate change, but now we, we. But there's still, you know, every other problem that we're currently facing mm -hmm. still faces because 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 it's it's climate change is all encompassing to some extent right now, but it also touches on so many different things that we have to have a we have to have a better vision. We have to plan something. And part of that better vision, I assume, is about interconnectedness. So it's about us understanding sort of. What are the fundamental building blocks of our lives, you know, and how how are they related? But how do we participate in those which makes them better? So something that we've talked about a fair bit is food systems. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and it's, it's, food systems is a good example um, of exactly what the where these tensions lie, right? In, in that you can have for someone currently now to eat sustainable sustainably. Um, there is an incredible amount of privilege required. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, whether that is, when, and, and, and that, whether or not that is that privilege comes from the ability to afford uh, organic food um, or live in a place that is not a food desert yeah. um, or be close to food, uh, close to farmer's markets um, or honestly live in a place in which the food you're growing in your backyard is not polluted. You know, like yeah. there's like, there's, 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 there's so many pieces of this in which to live a, and then, and then the question is, okay, well, you have an organic food that was, but that was still driven to you personally by a, by a farmer in, in, in a consumptive vehicle. And that still is not part of a, of, of actual, the, you know, you can have organic food, but that doesn't actually solve all the other inequalities. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's a, there was a great piece on, um, uh, a great, I went to a talk a while ago with Desmond Cole and he had a point about how food policy uh, that doesn't include a way towards uh, migrant worker rights is how is that a just food policy? You know, you can like, if, if you are not if you're not giving the people who are picking your food uh, a path towards citizenship and 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 and, you, and you're sending them home when they get injured, no amount it doesn't matter what kind of food they're picking. Um, that's that's not a sustainable food policy, and so it you have to have this massive shift. Uh, and, 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 and it's, and it, I say massive, which makes it sound huge. And we've discussed as well. I'm, I'm going to throw up a question back to you in half a second. Um, we, but like this piece of which there's, 
it can feel it can feel huge it can feel massive and and what the goal of this really to be is is to we're going to go out and we're going to find people who are doing this right now and we're going to talk to them and we're going to be show that what we're hoping to see is happening now and 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 find other more exa examples of of people and, and and ways that you can start moving this forward and start actually the goal is to take this shift that is can feel massive and can feel like you can't see the other side of it um but show how in how these there are already so many people working on this that it's really just connecting the dots it's really just connecting the people connecting the ideas and connecting the things that are already out there and and growing and finding a way to empower the rest of the community to do this, um, and so to, to go back to, to throw it back a question back to you um, is, is is that we've been talking about this for a while, uh, and you recently agreed to, to to sort of come back and join us and helping uh, taking over your, your already ridiculously busy schedule helping with this. Uh, so why why does this interest you? Why like why have you agreed to help me? <laughs> why have I agreed to help you? Other than the kindness of your heart, of course. Thank you. Uh, I think for me, the biggest driver of wanting to commit my time to this is I see a really important role in contextualizing a lot of the good things that are happening out there in this narrative of building new systems that serve people and the planet better. So that's, that's describing it in its most simple form. But understanding, for example, let's go back to food. Food is a great entry point because we all need it and we all have a relationship to it for helping people to understand systems thinking better. So, and we want to look at simple, easy entry points for people to start getting involved in this. So for example, starting to grow your own food, even on a small scale, reestablishes a connection with the natural world. And it's one of those things, like I can describe it in words, but until you get your hands in the soil, like that, that's a certain feeling. It creates a lot of things, but one thing it might create is a sense of appreciation and empathy for the human beings that grow our food. So, you know, you, for example, you were mentioning the link to migrant workers. So a lot of our, our food um, that is grown close to us, I mean, it's grown and the labor of people that have come from other places um, are really ma are making it happen for us. Like our food is picked by people that live in other places who have left their families um, to come pick our food, basically. Yeah. And that's just one example. But on the positive side, having that hands-on connection to food and understanding just how much effort it takes to grow food how one, knowing that one can do it, but that growing it in the amount or the quantity that we need to, to feed our society is, is a huge labor and it takes resources. And then you start to understand what are those resources it takes to grow food. Um, there's also the aspect of the sharing of food. So when we're thinking about um, countering this very sort of individualistic uh, approach to our lives, so we, we are on our own or we're there with our nuclear families and we're not doing things that build community, one of the best things that build communities, even small ones, is the sharing of food. And this is a very important element um, to being human, but we see it being a lot more active um, in, in other communities. Now, a lot of our very diverse cultural communities in the greater Toronto area um, do very actively convene around food. So how do we share those kind of practices? and start to look at our connections to other people, but also the food that we're eating. Yeah, and to take that sort of 
this is the conversation that we want to be having, right? I feel like the, we've, we've talked about this so much now. Uh, this, this connection between each one of these individual pieces is, ends up, feels small. And each individual sort of decision and piece of it is a is seems like it's a very you, you think you can drill down on it and you can really get into one piece of it and then only when you get into that sort of small pieces of it do you realize actually how much how far reaching and how much it touches and I think a big part of this sort of plan to win planning to win thought is I want we the goal is to drill down the goal is to really mm-hmm. drill down on some of these very specific very direct tensions that exist in our society and exist within our, our, our people um, and our organizations and our, and our groups and, and, and sort of use that inherent difficulty uh, to have a larger conversation. So what, you, what we'll see is, is what we'll be, get, what we'll be getting at here and what, when you bring people on is one thing we'll be trying to talk to these people about is, you know, what's the thing that people don't expect? You know what's the, what's the thing that what's the thing that people are, are, are that that you wouldn't necessarily figure out? What's the thing that you aren't doing? Is you know we at um, I think like Toronto. So there was an event uh, here that we ran uh, called Toronto for Everyone, and we had one cha- conversation in it, which was about the future of markets, and it included this fascinating dichotomy. There was there was, there was the Toronto Tool Library talking about their experience of of sort of getting rid of ownership, and then there was someone from a co-op uh, from talking about sort of uh, talking about sort of this shared ownership. And it was interesting that it's that the poles of these of these two conversations of having no ownership and sharing to uh, to to sharing every, to to, to, own, to have a large people ownership, they it almost circles around down to this community conversation. You almost get all the way back to this. So th- maybe that's the conversation, right? Maybe the conversation isn't exactly exactly how you do it, but it's these pieces of it. Yeah, and that's that. When you think about it, it's a, it's a major reorientation. So exa- the examples you've given, you know. Uh, tool libraries, repair cafes, we have great, great initiatives like that uh, right here in our city. And I remember you talking about on one previous show, well, in Europe, there's a cell phone that can be repaired. And it was like, oh, wow, this is like revolutionary. But we think, you know, what is new is in fact old. <clears throat> Things used to be developed so that they could be repaired. And this is this was not radical. This was not New thinking. This was just the standard. It was required. It was required. It was a good thing. Yeah, it if was you required. built it, you built it to, to be able to repair because that was to good. To last, yeah. so to last sometimes for for generations. Yeah. And so when we see emerging initiatives like a repair cafe, in fact, we have to think about you know we're going back to things that actually have been valued before. Um, more broadly, when we think about you know, living sustainably or actually living in harmony with nature. I mean, we've seen indigenous movements around the world really having to fight to retain a way of life that is fundamentally about living in harmony with nature. But in fact, if we look at what needs to happen, not only do we need to support those movements, but we actually all need to start following suit and picking up those practices. So, you know, looking at um, sharing a sharing economy or looking at concepts around circular economy. So where we're really not creating any new waste and we're really maximizing the use of things that are already in play in our economy are are new in the way that they're being described, but they're actually old, which also tells us it has been done before, right. so we can it's actually doable, do it yeah. again. Yeah. Um, so, what I'm going to do actually is we're going to we're going to take a quick music break, uh, and then we're going to come back. Uh, and I want to d- 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 drill down into some of these these central tensions that we want to actually be discussing. Um, and one the one last thing I want to want to before we go into this break, I want to highlight here is 
we also want this to be discussion with the audience. You know, so if you have or if you have examples of cool things that are happening, if you we're trying to spread the so this as wide as possible to understand this as as widely as possible because it really is all encompassing. So if you have any examples of cool things that are happening, please let us know because it'd be very helpful. Uh, and so with that. Our first music break is a song called Rose by the Toronto producer and vocalist Benedict. The song was released only like a month ago uh, through Bedroomer, a collective of Toronto-based artists. Give me a rose for your love Learn to reset your Welcome uh, to The Green Majority. This is uh, Stephen Osada speaking in studio with M.A. Ma. Uh, we're talking about planning to win, and we're sort of the discussion of some of the central tensions that exist within the attempt to discuss this movement, the attempt to discuss going forward. And so, M.A., do you want to introduce me the first one? Yeah, so something that we've been talking about is fast versus slow movements. Hmm. So... I would say, and perhaps you would agree with me, that we live in quite a high-pressured society. Let's talk about where we are right now, which happens to be in urban Toronto. So there's there's a lot of pressure, I feel, as an individual, to move things fast, to be really productive. And that also leads me to making some very fast choices. Say, for example, about the food I buy. So maybe I don't spend a lot of time or as much as I should preparing my own food, because um, it's go, go, go. And then I'm buying things. And maybe I'm buying things I know aren't as good to the planet as if I were making them myself. Or maybe they come in packaging that isn't great. Um, but it's part of the urban pace of life. Well, so and, and what is going, what does the slow movement mean in this context? Yeah. To jump in briefly, not only that, the people who are making your food are in the same thing. Yeah. You know, like if you're in a business, you're told that the only the wasted time is the time you're spent yeah. not selling. 
Yeah. And so this, so you know, they're 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 in the same they're in the same boat as you are. Uh, this, this sort of this, I don't know exactly how to phrase it. The 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 type of fast, the overwhelmingly control of fast yeah. on our society uh, is 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 overwhelming. Yeah. And um and yeah and, and then and then and then what is that concept? And, and what's interesting is there's some places that are that are really obviously have slow. So there's this, the slow food movement. Which actually ends up being two different movements, which is partially confusing. Yeah. There's like, you know, there's I think there's the slow food movement that means eating dinner slowly, and then there's the slow food movement, which is actually a movement to to help fund farmers and you get sort of slower money. Uh, that's that, and then and but then there's also then there's like people who talk about slow fashion and, and and there's also a piece about this about which slowness. I'm what I'm kind of, kind of fascinated about is and again I what's funny about me saying any of this is that I live life as fast as possible like there's just not a there's like the, mm. like i personally am very bad at embodying any of this um but when you look at this the difference between if you're going fast 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 you are constantly having to do the next thing and and that means that you'll probably end up i'm curious to know how much that impacts your consumption you know like if you're because if you're if you if you just spend a day sitting in a park being slow you're consuming a lot less. You're not getting as much done, quote unquote, but you're also not destroying the world in the same way. Yeah, and I think another, I'll just add another dimension to that, and that's looking at the role of how technology enables a fast economy. So some of us, whether we're doing good work or not, or meaningful work, are working all the time because our devices are enabling us to be completely switched on to work. Even, mm. even during our downtime. Mm. So for me, what I found to be really important as a strategy to not be go, 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 and also have my consumption patterns follow that go, go, go pattern, is to really have some time in the day where I unhook and I have a little tiny patch where I'm growing vegetables and I just look at my vegetables <laughs> <laughs> to bring it back to food. But I think that we need to look at this as again inter interconnected challenges you know i'm not anti-technology at mm. all um but at the same time there needs to be a mindfulness of the kind of the certain types of productivity which the, which certain types of technology uh is driving which may not be productive over the long run at all which which segues really into the second central tension that we that we want to look at here which is this problem between efficiency and resiliency and because technology and, and where we've been going for the last you know almost arguably for human existence is trying to make everything more and more efficient you know uh, and so and the, the thing about efficiency though more often than not if we discussed countless times on the show is that efficiency is almost always the other side of the coin to resiliency because to make something more and more efficient you have to make it in per more and more perfect conditions you know like if you're building if you it's 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 you go to use food as our ongoing example um to grow the amount of food we're currently growing is largely due to a fact that we've managed to monoculture, create monocultures, so, so a particular strain of a particular thing, which grows the best uh, in particular conditions. And in a world that is becoming more and more volatile weather-wise, this is a massive, massive concern. Um, but at the same time, the efficiency also dramatically reduces cost. So, like, if we're talking about how you're able to afford the type of food we're able to afford from, like, we, we the fact that you can go to a grocery store and get anything at a, a relatively affordable price um, is 
is is indicative of the mm -hmm. of this of the power of efficiency. Yeah. And 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 then which which flip side of that means that there will be a cost to resiliency. And whether or not it's your cost of your time for you know your your vegetable garden gives you some resiliency because if you know if if all food imports in Toronto end, you at least have a garden. I do not, uh, and so you have some food. Yeah, I will last for a whole other two other days. Exactly, too long two two days longer. Two than days, you basically. Exactly, and maybe those two days are all you need. Who knows? <laughs> um, but that's the point, right? Like yeah. like like it's it's a and maybe it's your time or maybe it's it may, but also it's also money. You know, like if you can't if you make half the yield, you have to sell it for twice yeah. for twice the cost, and. And that sort of, there's that piece of it, which is so much about how you convey the increased cost that it'll be. And, and like, you know, at the same time, if that means that your house isn't hit by a hurricane in 30 years, maybe a it's a deal you probably will take. But, but, that's, but that's a very hard thing to deal with right now. Yeah. And, you know, on the, on the flip side, on the more positive side, um, we're seeing, you know, growth in different types of, farms so not just the big agribusiness type you know smaller um, organic farms biodynamic farms and and these necessarily do require a higher level of human touch mm -hmm. I, i'm oversimplifying grossly but in agribusiness i mean we're looking at full sort of mechanization of farming whereas other types of farming require requires a lot more human care and a lot more human touch. And so when we look at the nature of that work, the jobs involved, that's also another part of this. And I think one of the one of the the concerns around looking at sort of new alternatives, there have to be there has to be livelihoods mm -hmm. in the new alternatives. Uh, people have to be able to support themselves and their families and their communities. And so when we're going forward, it's not just about, as you've mentioned, saying no to certain things. Mm -hmm. It's about providing viable alternatives where people can have good and, and meaningful work um, in, in this new um, kind of system. And, th and that's resiliency too, right? Like, yeah. there's, like providing people with providing more people with work makes makes the system more resilient because these more there are more and more people sort of at the who are being supported by that system and you're seeing that even attention in in, in technologies driving us towards this question faster and faster and faster you know as amazon buys whole foods and the conversation becomes will anyone actually work at whole foods yeah. you know like like will there be th or you know even with as amazon is slowly eating walmart's lunch you know, Walmart, let alone the fact that it's also, you know, it's, 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 it's got its own problems, but it was employing a ton of people. Well, that's terrifying. That's a terrifying image. Amazon eating Walmart. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, but you know, th th that's yeah. it, right? It, 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 and so there's a resiliency piece also has to do with, yeah, how do you provide these work, these jobs for, for, for people in a society in which technology is so quickly making people not relevant? Yeah. Yeah. So I think one of the, on the, the upside of resiliency um, there's there's good work in building social and community resilience. Um, there's good work in making our buildings more energy efficient. So if we want to develop highly skilled a highly skilled labor force, some of the engagement with newer technologies around you know making buildings energy efficient can actually employ people in in good work. So there are there are answers to these things. The other thing I wanted to sort of introduce into the conversation is that we need to give ourselves permission in the society to make decisions based on our values. So efficiency has really ruled the day as the prime sort of decision maker around 
um, consumer, so-called consumer choices or so-called business choices. But we need to give ourselves permission to say it's okay to make those kinds of decisions based on our values. And there's actually interesting research to support this, that people, when they're labeled, even when they're labeled consumers, do still make decisions based on their values. If they feel that a company um, is uh, making decisions that are more in line with their values, presenting more of an ethical face, people actually do move their business to that company. So it's not that this concept is completely outside of the sphere of what's already in place in our society, but my feeling is that we need to let it permeate a little bit deeper than it is already, and, or a well, lot deeper. Yeah, and to find a, and, to, and we have to find a way uh, to sort of to go back to bring us to our third excellent segue to our third central tension um, of this of this thing versus facts versus values. In that specifically, what we're what I, I'm interested in, you can you can comment as well uh, in this conversation is how often how often we act as if uh, as if we're 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 using facts when we're actually talking about values and how often we're talking about how, or how often that we're actually, you know, more often than not, we're, we're chair, we're either we're cherry picking our facts or we, or, or, or the facts are sort of true, but like much more complicated, much more often than not, like that's the piece, right? More often than not, you know, there's, yeah. there's so many pieces in which when with the environmental movement in which we want to find ways that to make it easy and digestible and, and fun sounding, uh, and so we come up with these sort of particular facts, but like if you dig into them, you end up when you're like, ah, oh, mm, you know, you know, for, like the easiest one is food miles. You know, if I go by food, this concept of food miles is is super sellable. I can sell things on food miles. You're like, oh, it's only 100 miles away. That's great. And more often than not, from a sustainability perspective, the the farm 100 miles away is probably better. You know, it's probably you know, it's probably. Um, it it, it it definitely makes you more resilient. Your area is more resilient because you have local localish food, uh, and there's a massive argument for local food specifically. However, talking about food miles from a carbon perspective, which is often where it's coming from, it gets much more tricky. You know, because if you're talking about per you're talking about per calorie per distance traveled, more often than not, the ones coming from close are being driven by personal vehicles, and so they're not driven. So there's no there's no value of economies of scale, even the carbon's being driven. You know, um, and and so it's and so the actual conversation conversation is, is is much more difficult, and and so um, or or even food miles in the same mode of you know if I have a greenhouse that's on the top of my roof, they went nowhere. But if that greenhouse is powered by a gasoline generator, then what am I doing? <laughs> yeah, I mean these things are complex, and I think we need to. Well, we need to recognize the complexity. We also need to not paralyze people mm. by throwing so much information at them. I think one of the mistakes that the environmental movement has made is feeling that the right information will actually motivate or inspire people. But what has happened is the information has made people feel um, either disengaged, paralyzed, or feel that they can't do anything unless they are a scientist and they've got a, you know, highly developed set of technical skills in, in a particular area, you know, related to tech or related to environmental science or whatever. And that's the opposite effect of what we want. We want to create systems um, and more at a micro level, um, an ease of choice. So for people to actually make good choices without feeling paralyzed by, by, without feeling like they, they have no alternative. And we've seen this sort of 
motivation around tapping into people's values as opposed to using hard facts actually deployed really effectively by some of the negative forces that are out there, particularly the most obvious one being in the United States right now in terms of the new administration. But what we need to do is learn about why this actually works. So, for example, just to choose, just to select a negative example and then turn it around, um, getting America back to work, um, reactivating the coal industry. Well, we know that's nonsense. And I mean, do young people really want to work in the coal industry? Probably not. But what has been done that's effective there is this thing about getting America back to work. So tapping into the sentiment and the concern and the need for jobs and livelihoods. So we should, we should learn something from that. We should take that kind of messaging, but in a positive context. Um, and so when we're talking about playing to win, part of playing to win is actually being a lot more effective in the way we communicate to people and also the way we make choices easier for them. Yeah, yeah, and, and and to have the and to to talk to them where they're at. Sometimes, yeah, right? meet people and, where they're at. And and I think that's the, the the big thing about what we're hoping to do with this is is to bring the people is is you said you mentioned actually this idea of choice. And I think what's so fascinating about this and what I, what I kind of feel like what we're really doing and what I would what what we'd like to do here is is actually illustrate that there is a choice where people don't think there's a choice. That's the, like for me, more often than not, like when we're talking about energy and food and housing and fashion sustainably, more often than not, the, 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 the only way to see it right now, or the way, the way it's most often seen, is that there's this very, very elite set of privileged people who can actually have a choice if they have how they live in all these different, in these ways. Whether or not they're off-grid, whether or not they're sustainable eating, whether or not their house is, is, is you know, is LEED certified or whatever, uh, and whether or not they're buying sustainable fashion, is, is it's, the question here is, is, is there's a very, very slim set of people who, who yeah. feel like they have that choice. Uh, and myself being one of them, I, you know, I, you cannot do this uh, in downtown Toronto uh, on a, on a, on a nonprofit salary. It's just not a thing you can do. And so it's, 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 it, it ends up being a, a thing, or at least doesn't feel like it's a thing you can do. And so what we want to, what we would do is really probe that, probe that question of, okay, how can we give people choice? How can we let people choose the world they want to live in? How can we let people choose to live sustainably? Like, let's give people the choice of of not living in the system that's going to break down. That we spend, like, right now what we're doing basically is we're spending a whole bunch of time telling people that the system is broken and then not giving them a choice to not be a part of that system, which, of course, that's demotivating. Like, why would we ever think that's not demotivating? Um, and so I'm going to take another quick music break, uh, and then we're going to come back and we're going to sort of just, uh, the la with the last section, uh, my hope is that we can chat about sort of what we would like to see both for this and in the future. Let's just, let's just philosophize about what we think the future could look like. Sounds good. Our second song, uh, is called Hossack by Braids, an art rock group from Calgary, now based in Montreal, and the song is off their 2013 album, Flourish, Perish.
and welcome back to The Green Majority. This is Stefan Hauser sitting in the studio with M.A. Ma. Thank you so much for listening to us and to everyone else who's you know, across, the, across the airwaves uh, and all our wonderful, well-appreciated radio syndicates and anyone who's on our podcast. That's also fun. Uh, I presume that if we're doing this show, the show's barely an hour, an hour long show we're recording right now. So uh, if you want to hear Saren, you can listen to Saren on the, on the bonus show. <laughs> that's, what, that's what we've like relegated them to. Um, but we've been talking about this sort of theoretical future, this, this sort of vision of, of, of what a sustainable world could look like. Um, and so I'm going to throw to you a question to you, M.A., is what does this look like? What does, you know, 20, 20, let's go 2035, 2050, whatever time in the future you think that is both uh, soon enough that we haven't totally ruined ourselves, <laughs> um, and, but long enough way that we can actually get some serious change happening. Um, what, is it, what does it look like? Well, in my mind, this world is very much organized around local decision-making and a very strong sense of community. And why I feel that that's a central feature is that when decision-making is localized, it's giving people access to making good choices for themselves, their families, their communities. And some of the bad choices that we've seen that have led us down a certain pathway is that those decisions are taken out of people's hands. So for me, a beautiful vision of the future is centered around community, communities are walkable, people can access you know, essential services that they need, uh, communities are green, they have green space, um, they have urban agriculture, but they also have good relationships with rural areas where food's being grown, and there's a lot of social space. And why I feel that that's really essential is that when I look at where we are now and replacing what is happening in our society with something better, the whole drive towards consumption of things that maybe are non-essential for enjoyment or for pleasure, I feel can really be replaced by doing things with other people. And I'm saying this because I'm speaking from personal experience. I have personally experienced my, my... so-called need to purchase things, to buy things, to fill perhaps a void in my life has really diminished the more I got out there and started doing things socially or things for the benefit of the community with others. So for me, when I'm looking at um, redesigning the kinds of systems um, on which our society is run, people are at the heart of it, communities at the heart of it, and it builds out from there. Hmm. Yeah, I, I got to double down on the community piece because one thing I found so fascinating from watching from from going from a place in which I didn't have a community to a place I did have a community I guess I'll say um, or going from a place that is you know I grew up in the suburbs uh, we sort of knew a couple of our neighbors but there wasn't you know there wasn't a massive maybe my parents had a little more connection to the people beside us but you know there was never a huge huge community feel um, and then and then coming back and then and so when you needed something you'd go out and buy it uh, or you'd, you'd look for something else. And and then the few days when, it's funny, it's the few days when something di- disastrous would happen or the few days you'd actually talk to people, right? Mm. Like, you know, everyone remembers everyone remembers the, the great blackout um, because you people went in on their porch and talked to their neighbors suddenly. Yeah. Um, and this, or, or when, or the ice storm, you know, when, when the ice storm hit and, and suddenly you were running a, a cable from a three doors down to power your furnace so you'd have some heat because, you know, because my house happened to, my, my place in my Scarborough happened to not have, 
it, it, it specifically was destroyed. And so it was one of the last ones to get power. Right. But my parents still need heat. And so a neighbor ran something, ran something over. And then to come downtown and sort of get to a community where in which I could see the power of community really at work, it made me realize how much, not just my own purchasing power is diminished, or my not power, not, not, not power isn't diminished, but my own personing, personal purchasing need is diminished. But more specifically, how the, the community can step up and provide for you and in, in, in can reduce the need for consumption in a way, in a very direct way. You know, like if I needed sugar uh, and I can ask my neighbor for sugar, then I don't need to go out and buy a sugar that, that will then go bad. You know, if I am, you can use resources in such a more effective way. Um, like we've, what's, create, what's amazing is we've created a system in which is, we talk about efficiency. We've created a system that is so, so, so efficient to make all the stuff and then so inefficient at how we use the same yeah. stuff. And, and so the power to me of community, the reason why I would sort of double down your community piece is it's, it is the, it is the, if there's a tension between the, the way in which that it'll be harder to, it'll be more expensive or difficult to purchase more things. Um, the, the, the way you balance that in my mind is through such an investment in community, um, that you are, um, that you're able to build it up, that you're able to survive, that they're able to, to use the stuff that you have much, much more effectively. And I think that to me is how you balance this out to make it not a, to make it a reasonable way of doing it. Um, now to throw back to the question to you, uh, as maybe one of, as we have about 15, a little less than 15 minutes in the show. Um, what excites you about this project? Like what, what, like, is it the, people we're going to talk to is it the is it the chance to get connection what about it what about this like, excites you uh and why should people why should people continue on listening to this journey what excites me is the discovery or rediscovery of all these good things that are happening out there already so we actually already have the building blocks to bring forward this new society you know we've we've referenced some of the initiatives that we hope to engage with um they, they are all there, but we're not thinking about it from a systems perspective. We're not necessarily thinking about how can we tap all the knowledge and the good practice that's happening to rebuild or reassemble our society in a way that works better for, for more people so that the benefits are um, more evenly shared, but that there's overall a new benefits for everybody. All the things that we need to do, just about all of them, I would say, to reduce poverty, to um, mitigate climate change, to build more resilient societies, um, intersect in some way, shape, or form. And all those things, when done, are actually going to make life better for all of us. I don't want to be naive and say that we aren't going to have to let go of some things. We absolutely are. But letting go of certain things is going to really dramatically improve the quality of our lives, uh, the quality of life for future generations. And I, you know what, if, I, if I'm lucky enough to live to an old age, I want to be held accountable by younger people. And I want to be able to answer their questions and say that I did everything within my power now um, to bring forward a better society for them. So that, for me, just on a very personal level, looking forward, uh, like I hope that I have that to look forward to. Yeah, yeah. It, it, there's a, such a piece of this in which is about our, 
it's about having hope again to some extent. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that's the thing that the, something that me, drives me about doing this is that there's there's not there's not a lot of reason to be positive. Um, you know, and and I, I'm not going to sugarcoat this. There's there's really just isn't. You know, we can go over and over and over and over all of the depressing statistics that exist, and you know, there's just it's from an objective standpoint. If you just look at all of the things in the motion which we're going, it it does not look good, um, and and yet there's at least a piece of it which it does feel like maybe we're getting somewhere. And and there's and maybe we're maybe maybe there is a there's a it's a fantastic quote and I wish I could remember exactly what it was um, about the the concept of the sort of shimmering uh, it's, it's, it's like it's this idea of that you may not currently be able to see all of the good people doing good work and all all the people are trying to make more by this but there's like a shimmering glow right underneath the surface mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. it's it's a I, I'll remember it and I'll put it on the show post about what's actually what's actually the, f- the full quote or if you remember it just tech, just, just, just tweet at me and I'll and I'll and I'll remember um, but the that to me is like if you can just bring that shimmering underneath the surface up and so people can really see the light um, then then maybe we'll get somewhere uh, and and, and, and there's all these fascinating little pieces and little stories in these people doing this work. You know, there's every single part of this. It has these fascinating little, you learn something else about everything. You know, like I'm, I am in no way a farmer. And the more you learn, the more I get a chance to talk to someone who's, who's really passionate about food, the more you learn about the, the weird opportunities you never even imagined existed. Um, or, you know, or, or the way that, like, the way that some of the, some of the more interesting versions of housing, honestly, like, you mm-hmm. know, there's, like, housing, I feel like, is so often ignored uh, by, by, by environmentalists, because it's sort of like, yeah, you live where you live, um, you know, density is good, uh, but also maybe not in the, but also not some places, um, and sprawl is bad, is basically the sort of central tenants, and, and more housing, I feel like, comes in, almost always ends up being surrounding uh, how transportation works around them and all stuff like that. It doesn't really dig into the real stuff of housing, but like there's a piece of this that if you could leverage the power of, 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 of communal living and of communal housing and stuff like that to towards an environmental lens, there's an entire part of the world that we're not even, we're not even working like the at best basically we're saying make your, make your home, uh, you know, as, as, as environment energy efficient as possible. And that's the best we're going to do with housing. And there's just so much more we can be doing. And I feel like drawing some of these conversations to the surface and drawing some of the conversations that are, that are, that are really sort of out there. Um, and, and, and finding a way to let, let's sort of push back and provide an alternate reality to the reality that we sort of see, that we seem to see creaning towards. And to me, that's what I want to do. Like, I want to, pro- I want to provide someone an alternate reality to see. You know, like we talk about, you know, we talk about sort of these the visions for the future and these sort of big, grand, grandiose pieces of this. And and to me, it's the it's the opportunity to to let people see a different world, uh, and 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 how all the different ways that can look. And it's 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 very wide ranging. Um, and these and people who are you know, and, and it's going to touch every piece of this. You know, we didn't even get get into some of the concepts. Like, I could talk forever about the importance of art in this context. And we will at some point. And we will, exactly. Um, because, you know, because art, you know, of how much art provides a, a lens into our society and also a way to, to, to be more sustainable. You know, like that is a whole different question. And so it's, it's super broad touching, but there's so many pieces of it that are interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with you that that sense of there is a new world emerging. I grew up in a time 
I'd say, you know, in the 80s through to the early 90s, where it felt like things were narrowing, actually, for a while. Uh, narrowing in terms of it was a, an era of unbridled individualism, commercialism, and conservatism, if I can put it that way. I do see a sea shift happening here. The possibility to discuss things in a more open way and not be labeled as somebody um, who is out there, you know, mm -hmm. in your own little world, unrealistic. Um, the, the whole dominance of there is no alternative is actually fading, and that's a good thing. But for our sake, um, as, you know, for humanity, but also the rest of the natural world, we need to accelerate the good processes. Yeah. We really do. We need to accelerate them, and we need to um, create a new narrative that's going to help steer us in a positive direction. So the opportunity is there, the door is open, we need to step through it, but there needs to be a level of mindfulness and strategy, which to come back to the concept of planning to win really is about that. Um, we, we need to get ahead of this now um, so that where we end up, the destination where we end up um, is is a good place, um, you know, for ourselves and and for future generations. And there, a shakeup is a good thing. Yeah, it is a good thing. Yeah, you're, you're, you've you've touched on perhaps the last thing I want to make sure we get to before we end the show, um, which is that there's a there's a piece of this there's a perception that many people have an ability and a perception that the system is currently working. You know that there, it's very easy to go through the day, go through the day, walk out, you get you know you get your food as easy as you want it. Every, you can, it's, it, honestly, you spend a day in, in, in Toronto, it'd be very hard to see, it, it, with, it, with, with level of privilege that you might have, to, to see the system as not working, right? You, you can get anything you want pretty quickly. Um, but there is a, for, there's a vast percentage of the, of the world in which the system is not working. And and it's it's one it's hi highlighting that is important and there are so many great amazing organizations and people going out there highlighting the fact that the system isn't working, um, and I and I think the key here is that we need to ensure that this next system that we're building will work for those people too. Um, you know we can't just build a system we can't just convince the people who the system is working now that the next system will also work for them. The new system has to work for everyone. And, and that's why this plan to win is going to be so holistic, because it can't not be. Because uh, anything else uh, would, be, would, be a, would, would be a failure on, on, like, why envision a world in which, in which it's not working for everyone? That doesn't make yeah. any sense. Uh, so let's actually go out and build a world that's not, you know, that's, that's, that's maybe a little bit slower, that's maybe a little bit kinder, that has, you know, that has a better emphasis on community, um, you know that 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 takes the what that takes the knowledge from all of the the, the old knowledge, the old old information. Uh, you know the indigenous information, the, the information that people sort of have. That, the, the knowledge has come grown up through you know tens of thousands of years of history. Take what works from that piece and, and invest it in our lives and meld it with the with the new stuff that we need to live now. You know, let's make a let's make a a world we want to live in that's like exciting and not and not scary all the time. And you know that's that's that. There's just the opportunity is just so ripe, I guess. Uh, last thoughts, Emma? I don't think I can top that, Stephen. <laughs> I think let's just end on a challenge to ourselves and to the people who are listening to show to the show. To the challenge is exactly what you've said. How do we invite people uh, to take up uh, this new way of thinking? Send us your ideas. We want to hear from you. How do we make this 
concept or concepts accessible to people? How do we invite them uh, and get them excited about joining an initiative like this? Yeah, and, and what does the what does the world look like to you? That's the question, yeah. right? The, the question that we'll be asking, one question we'll be asking every single person that we meet in this front is, what does your sustainable uh, future look like? What does your what does your world look like that that doesn't have these that isn't creening off a cliff? You know, let's and and that's that's a question, open question to to the public, to you who's listening right now, to anyone. The more ideas and the more people get engaged with this question, the sooner and the faster and the better we'll all be. Uh, we certainly don't expect to have we don't expect to have the answers to this thing. We're going out and asking the world, uh, and so we'll start by asking you. What does this world look like to you? Please tell us. Thanks so much for listening. This has been The Green Majority. Have a great Green Week, folks.